So, good afternoon and good morning, ladies and gentlemen. So, and welcome once again to the third session of the day and day two of our ESG Investing India ESG 2.0 conference. You know, last year when we the page and I thought about launching this conference, little did we know. That uh, you know, uh, Indian investors are so much keen on knowing what's happening globally, what are the new things, and it has been a success. And hence, this year we had a lot of experts talking about nitrogen, and are we, uh, you know, on our on on the journey towards being hydrogen? We had a lot of experts speak on it, but uh, to understand what's happening more. I'm going to call the case to introduce our next guest. But before I do that, the hygiene factor, if I tell you to keep your mic on mute and your hand has switched off, you will be given an opportunity to ask questions. To do that by raising your virtual hand and we'll ask you to unmute yourself. Uh, please note that this session is being recorded. So over to you, Ritesh. Uh, thank you, Swapna. Uh, thank you all for uh, joining on for this session. Uh, over last couple of sessions, what we have heard uh, from uh, our guest speakers is coal is something which is important for India. It's not going away. Uh, there is a need for transition from blue hydrogen to green hydrogen. Uh, we also heard about what all things could actually happen from a policy standpoint in the upcoming budget. Uh, but uh, the government of India is very serious about green hydrogen. Uh, that could be potential policy reforms on blending for hydrogen uh, for various industries. So it's just not very far away from us. And uh, green hydrogen is something which is critical. Uh, to understand this from a commercial standpoint, uh, we have none other than uh, Dr. Yukim. Uh, he is Director of Global Commercialization at uh, Linde. Uh, I'll introduce him briefly. Uh, Dr. Yukim received his MSc in Process Metallurgy and PhD in Production Engineering from Royal Institute of Technology, Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, this was way back in 87 and 92. Uh, he is a well-known speaker and has published more than 200 papers on energy and emission conservation, recycling and production. Uh, he has served as a member of more than 30 both of companies, associations, associations and research organizations. Uh, he has six patents to his name and is currently based out of Munich, uh, Germany. Uh, with a mix of steel research and consultancy background, uh, Joachim joined the industrial gases industry in 1996. Uh, since then, he has served many different technical and commercial management roles at AGA, BOC, and now at Linde. Uh, so it's a pleasure and an honor to uh, host you. Uh, I'll hand over uh, the mic and controls to you for your presentation, post which uh, we will have a brief uh, Q&A session. Uh, over to you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Research, and, and uh, it's such a great pleasure to be with you here. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> also, in, in my background, I, I was living for four years in, in India, so I'm reasonably uh, knowledgeable about the, the Indian landscape, so to speak. So that, that was a great pleasure between 2011 and, and, and 2015. Uh, since a year and a half, I'm, I'm, I'm back from from Asia, where I also spent another five years uh, in uh, in Munich, in, in, in Germany. So uh, I would like to take you through a presentation uh, now, and let me see if I can 
bring up my my screen so it's, it's visible too. Does that work? Research program? Yes, it does. Good. So, this, the title of my talk is, is, is about the hygiene economics and applications. And I, I think it's, it's uh, important to understand a bit about, about, about how these things work and how they work together. Uh, and that, that means that we will talk a bit about the, the uh, supply and, and how, how that looks like today and how it can look like in the future and not at least where hydro can be used. I think that we, we have seen a lot of headlines over the past few years where, 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 where it seems like hygiene is the, is the thing that can, can work everywhere. But probably we, we should be a little bit more restrictive still, yes, very optimistic about it. Uh, so I'm with Linde, that is the world's largest uh, industrial gases company. Uh, we are very active in India uh, as well, uh, and, and uh, in another about 100 countries across the world. So let's now dive into, into this together. And when we do that, there is, as you can see on this slide, there is this CO2. I have H2 for hydrogen up in the corner, but CO2 that needs to be reduced. That, that's a key here. But we should not forget that that, that is part of sustainability, a sustainability transition. So reduction of carbon emissions is one part of it. And sometimes I, I feel that we, 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 we need to remind ourselves that, that there are a number of other things that we need to, to put effort into to support that they are also developing in the, in the right direction to create the full sustainability transition. But now, let's look at, at carbon emissions and, and how uh, hydrogen, etc. can play a role in that. It's an enormous challenge we have if we look at the whole world because uh, these carbon emissions comes from, from the use of fossil fuels, and as you can see in the diagram, uh, it's such a huge part of the energy that we are using in the world. It's coming from fossil sources, the coal, the oil, etc. So the, it's, it's a reasonably tiny bit of it that, that is coming from renewable sources. Uh, including hydropower and, and wind and solar and, and biofuels. And they're somewhere a little bit squeezed in the middle in some debates. We have the nuclear power. That's right. It's a huge challenge. And this has been addressed for a number of years, and there have been many international conferences, and the, you have the, the, the Copenhagen, and you have the Paris, and so on and so forth. And there are commitments from, from different countries how to reduce and also some countries that, would, uh, that, that uh, at some occasions opted out of, of these agreements. What we can see is that, that, that at least some of the bigger economies in the world are struggling to fulfill these commitments. It, it's huge challenges. Here is an example from a chart describing the, uh, the USA. So, challenge is huge, but there are, of course, solutions that, that can be applied. Uh, looking at the world and the challenge, another thing to remember is that there, there are 
a, a couple of so-called hard-to-obey industries. These are typical metallurgical industries, not at least the steel industry that represents uh, at least 7% of the world's CO2 emissions, but also production of any other metals like aluminium, copper, lead, etc. Another of the big uh, contributors to CO2 emissions is the cement industry. The same order of magnitude, if not more, than, than the steel industry. And uh, if we look at that and, 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 and the world, we can see that a that, that, uh, huge part, more than half of the production of, of, of these, in, in this industry, takes place in, in uh, Asia, and not at least in China. China is the biggest, no doubt about that, but Asia as a whole is very, very important when we talk about, about, about the uh, uh, energy transition and sustainability uh, transition. And part, another part of the big contributor is, of course, the automotive industry and, and the use of, use of cars, use of vehicles of different kinds, where, where uh, for example, India uh, has a huge industry and a huge use of cars. Sometimes when we discuss about, about, about this type of transition, there comes up a lot of ideas that, 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 that the scientists maybe are, are a little bit surprised about. I, I think we should keep in mind that even if, if it's great with, with, with a lot of ideas and how, including how hydrogen can be produced and so, the, um, the laws of physics are always there and, and we cannot shape them. It's impossible. It doesn't matter how we look upon the world upside down or whatever. We, we have to keep that, keep that in, in mind uh, so we don't fool ourselves even if we, are, we have had great dreams. That, that's a, a restriction to remind people about something. Now, start zooming in. When, when we look, look into how can we create decarbonization, the, the the first thing we all can do is to increase the life of products, to, to, to use things, use different things in, in our lives longer, to, or, or to um, produce uh, products that can last longer. Because if we can use everything one more, one more year, then we save one year of emissions. It's very simple. And second thing we can do is to increase the recycling rate. And we see that happening a lot in the metals industry now because a lot of production in like steel, etc., has increased based on virgin materials over the, over the past few decades uh, massively. And, and that, that reduces emissions if we can use scrap. The third thing, the third step is normally to try to electrify, to use electricity directly wherever it is possible. A fourth step, to increase the energy efficiency in the, in the processes. If we, and of course, particularly if we cannot electrify them. Uh, and that can be done in, in many different ways. Another fifth step, try to replace high-carbon containing fuels with, with low-carbon containing fuels and start using hydrogen wherever that makes sense. So what I'm trying to explain here is that hydrogen is not the starting point. There are things that we, in most cases, can do before and, and are more actually more efficient than starting looking into hydrogen. Hydrogen has its place, it's great, but we should think through this type of, of hierarchy first 
So we are not spending time, effort, resources on something where that, where that might be a better solution. Hydrogen has been produced for a for hundred years or, or, or more. Uh, I mean, it's one of the elements, it's one of the most abundant elements, and uh, Carl von Linde himself, the founder of our company, he was involved with production of hydrogen uh, in, in the early 20th century, and, and a developing process for that. And you know he was the person who also developed the, the process for production of, of, of oxygen and nitrogen uh, with, with the air separation unit. So, it has been there for a long, long time. Uh, we as a company have, have dealt with it for a hundred years, uh, so it's nothing new. It's just that, that, that what is happening now is that we talk about new uses of hydrogen. And people sketch then I, all these ideas that talk about that, uh, where can, can hydrogen be used. And, and it can be used for so many things. Principally, it can be used for so many things. It can replace different fuels. It can be used in the metallurgical industry. It can be used to produce uh, fertilizers. It can have it as, as a propellant for, for ships and, and so on and so forth. And it can be a part of the storage of energy. There are tons of possibilities. There is no doubt about that. But the, tying back to what I said previously, we have to think about where it makes sense. Uh, some people develop this. It's called the, the, the hydrogen ladder, where, where, they, where they try to categorize uses of hydrogen into different groups, the ones that are very, very good uses and the ones that are, are more questionable. And, and you can see uh, uh, here that there are, on each step of this ladder there are uh, about five different, if not more, different uses. This has been often discussed for, for, for some time, and, and uh, some people criticize this one and, and say that, uh, no, this is, this is not the correct description, the, the, the applications of hydrogen for decarbonization uh, that are viable are, are much fewer than that. And, and there are better uses, back to what I showed earlier, uh, of, for example, biofuels or, or electrification for, for some of this. So this is an ongoing debate. I, I think it's a dynamic landscape. The, the, uh, I think that the hydrogen can be, become more and more competitive over time, but it's important that we now, in the initial phases of the use of hydrogen in new applications, are focusing on where it makes most sense. Uh, one area that is, 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 uh, is very clear to many people is the discussion about how, about vehicles. And uh, the, here, here is a comparison of, on, uh, of uh, use of, uh, um, the, the use of electricity to use it directly into, into a battery electric vehicle or to produce hydrogen or to use, use it uh, to, to produce uh, fuels. For, 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 a, for a car. And I think we can clearly say that, that, that from, from an efficiency point of view, looking across this, uh, this diagram, it's much more uh, energy efficient to use an electric vehicle than to use a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. 
and uh, not to mention to 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 use this uh, to use hydrogen to to produce different different uh, fuels. But we should also remember that that uh, there are other aspects into this when we look at sustainability. That could be the scope three of uh, the mining of different uh, different minerals, different metals that have to be used. In, in the electric vehicles, for example, that can, can offset this equation from a carbon footprint perspective. So there is not a, there is not one answer there. Uh, however, our take when we look at vehicles is that that, that uh, the electric vehicles will be way uh, dominant compared to the fuel cell vehicles when we talk about passenger cars. So, so we are talking about 30% uh, of the vehicles sold in, in uh, 2030 would be electric vehicles, while we think fuel cells would be about 1%. And, uh, but that's not, that, that, that's a million cars, so it's, uh, it's not negligible, for sure. We have seen recently uh, quite, quite a big development in, in Europe when it comes to electrical cars, and I just took some statistics from my my native country, Sweden, and the car sales uh, and per quarter in 2021, you can see how how the, the sales of, of battery electric vehicles plus plug-in hybrids went up from uh, 35% uh, combined in the first quarter to 55% in the fourth quarter. And you can see also that the battery electric is, uh, is uh, becoming dominant over the plug-in hybrids. So it's a, it's a small country, 10 million people, a car fleet of about 5 million, but already today more than half of the cars sold in Sweden are electric vehicles. What people are now debating there, I have noticed, is that how, how, do, how will we find the green power for this? Because if this continues on the whole Swedish the car fleet will be electrified, they will need 25 terawatt hours per year of green power in addition to, to what, they, what they are using today for, for different processes. Uh, looking at Germany, it, it, the figure was a bit lower, but it was touching 30% uh, last year. So we can see this development very clear in Europe and in many other places, also in Asia. Uh, not at least uh, to close this part, uh, in, in China, of course, that has been leading uh, the, the way uh, with the electric vehicles to, to a large extent. Uh, but we see a developing coming up slowly in India as well. Um, these cars need their green power. It's not only for, for other purposes. So we should not forget that. Uh, and, and of course, to have a reasonable charging system. So we think that uh, in, in uh, <coughs> 2035, 2037 or so, about half of the new car sales, passenger car sales, will be electric in the world. Uh, that has an implication when we back to the metals that I'm working a lot with and using as an example here, because electric vehicles would require a different composition of metals and more of some metals as compared to a car with an internal combustion engine. So you can see much more copper, much more nickel, much more zinc, and cobalt that wasn't used before. And, 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 and uh, roughly the same amount of lead, and we need more uh, aluminium 
and uh, for the electric vehicles, and that, that also aluminium with uh, new properties. Then India has a huge uh, aluminium industry, and that could be, of course, an opportunity there as well. Now, looking at hydrogen, and here is a beautiful picture of that blue sky that we want to want to, all, to see all the time. Uh, hydrogen can be used for different purposes, as we said, and one, one of them that comes up many times is it's used as fuel. And sometimes people get a bit uh, worried about it because the, if here in this table uh, there, there are different properties. Uh, we can look at for hydrogen for methane, propane, butane, etc. And hydrogen is very light. And it ignites very easily and it burns very fast. So people are all the time afraid of that we can create explosions. Linda, the company has worked with hydrogen for, for, for many decades, as I said, and we, we know how to handle this. But, uh, but of course, this is, this is something that we should be aware of, that, that compared to, to uh, natural gas, for example, we, we, need, we need to, to take certain precautions and, and be more careful about it. The good thing with it, that it's light is that if you have a leak, it's it simply goes straight up in the sky as compared to, for example, propane that is heavy and, and, and can fill up uh, confined spaces. Uh, the world production of hydrogen today is about 120 million tons. Uh, about 30% of that takes place in China. Uh, vast majority of the current production of world production of hydrogen is what we call black or grey hydrogen. That is hydrogen produced from uh, fossil fuels, simply. And uh, if, if we look at it from that perspective, the, the uh, CO2 emissions for hydrogen produced in that way is, is uh, higher than, than, than if we would use, for example, natural gas directly. So that type of hydrogen that is the dominant one is definitely not the solution to uh, decarbonization. Uh, what is of interest is the, the uh, hydrogen produced from electrolysis. This is where we look into in the future, uh, where, where water is being split up by, by putting in electricity. However, that represents just a few percent of the production today. And and, and the tiny part of that only is using green electricity, green power. Uh, normally you use the, the, the grid mix, which could be quite, quite dirty at uh, some places. Looking across the world, uh, the merchant price of hydrogen today is somewhere six, seven, on average six, seven dollars per, per, per kg. That depends, of course, on the volumes, uh, if it's liquefied, if it's gaseous, and, and, and also uh, how clean it is, so to speak. So, we should keep this in mind. The hydrogen that we are looking into for the future uh, is not, it's not the hydrogen that is mainly used today. And that hydrogen that is the, 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 the majority of what is produced today and used today is casket. It's used in chemical complexes. It's not coming out to the merchant market. So, so that, that, that's another thing to keep in mind, that the merchant market is, 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 is a tiny bit of the total. 
Um, if you look at the European Union <coughs> and the forecast for the supply of green hydrogen, we, we have a very, very positive, very optimistic picture. Uh, but the first thing that we should say is that the current production in, in, in the European Union of green hydrogen is about a million tons a year. But we expect that to, to grow uh, very, very fast, and we expect that the, the average growth rate of, of, of production of green hydrogen within the EU to be at least 50% per year, which is, of course, is a, is a, is a very high figure, and it might be underestimated. It, it could be up to 100%. So we, we, we see that. Um, when you talk about hydrogen and uses, um, uh, uh, it's also important to highlight about storage and, and, and the, the use of all the pipelines. Uh, hydrogen that is produced from renewable energy in electrolysis uh, can, of course, act as a storage. We, we, have, we might have fluctuations in the, in the supply of, of, of the green power from, from the wind turbines, for example, and we would need to even that out by, by, by having an, an energy storage. And uh, the, the produced hydrogen can, of course, serve that uh, purpose. Uh, however, it's more of a medium term, uh, like uh, you know, short fluctuations are easier to handle with, with batteries than, than, than with, with, uh, with hydrogen production. Uh, if you have talked about longer term uh, variations and so, I think still we can say that, that pumping water is the preferred way of, of, of storing energy. But it can have its role. There is no doubt about that. And uh, also, uh, pen electrolysis, we come into that, uh, are very good because they are flexible when it comes to, 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 to starting up and, and turning off and the turn off. Um, Looking at it from, uh, from transporting uh, uh, hydrogen, I think that the best way to, to, use, to, to produce hydrogen is to produce it on site, where you need it. Uh, preferably then uh, on a larger scale, preferably having at least one huge uh, off-taker, and uh, we can probably create a cluster around that one that, that, uh, with smaller off-takers. Uh, as well, but uh, it's faster in general to, to transfer electricity than, than to transfer the, the hydrogen for a longer distance if we, if we look at it from an efficiency point of view. The losses are probably bigger. Uh, in Europe, th there is a lot of investigation if the existing pipelines for natural gas can be used for transporting hydrogen. Uh, in general, the answer is yes, most of them can. Uh, however, uh, we, we will need to lower lower the, the, the pressure of the of, of the of the gas. So the pressure of the hydrogen will be be uh, lower than the pressure of the natural gas transported. Uh, in Europe, at least, there are many discussions about uh, blending in hydrogen into the natural gas. Say, twenty percent hydrogen into the natural gas, I and mean, in that way at the end, reduce the carbon footprint of the whole use. Linda has put up very, very strong climate goals for, our, for ourselves. We, we, are, we are a company that works a lot with, with ESG 
uh, and we, we have uh, been recognized by Dow Jones Sustainability uh, World Index uh, for 18 consecutive years. Uh, we uh, seek decarbonization as, as something that, that is now in our DNA, and our, our new CEO, Sanjeev Lamba, is, 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 is very focused on this now when, when he's coming in. Uh, we are investing more than a billion dollars into the, to decarbonization. We are spending one third of our R&D on decarbonization, and, and we are striving to double the purchase of low carbon power. We, we want to reduce our uh, own uh, greenhouse gas emissions by, by more than one third in the, in the coming years. We have a 10 year target from 2018 to 2028 to do that. So this is very much on our own agenda and we work with our, our uh, clients, our, our customers to, to support them with that as well. So we are in this energy transition uh, with hydrogen and with different other solutions uh, for sure. Uh, we have hydrogen space of more than, more than 2 billion euros. Uh, and and we, with that, we are the biggest merchant uh, player in, in the world. Uh, if we now look more into uh, the technologies for, for production, etc., uh, Linda has for long been uh, all across the, the hydrogen infrastructure in, in all parts of the value chain. We have built more than 500 plants uh, and we operate. Um, that our model is typically build and operate. We operate more than 150 uh, plants. More than 80 of them are, are electrolyzers, by the way. We are, we are liquefying uh, a lot also. We have, have a huge capacity, uh, both for, for smaller and, and, and bigger liquefaction. And we have a huge uh, fleet of, of uh, trailers, more than 1,600 trailers worldwide. Uh, we have a more than 1,000 kilometers uh, hydrogen pipeline network uh, which we, in, in uh, Texas, and, and we are <coughs> we have, have huge storage capacity. So, so all these kind of things are, are things that we have been working with for quite a long time. Currently, we are building the world's largest hand electrolyzer. Uh, it will be. Uh, uh, in operation in six months with 24 megawatts and we are very proud of that but it's also important to notice 24 megawatts is ro still rather small compared to what will come later on. Uh, we are also working with, with carbon capture, see to capture it together with some of our partners and, and uh, we, quite important solutions for that both when it comes to the production of uh, hydrogen and uh, as our customers uh, use of hydrogen and, and other fuels to help with the, with the carbon capture uh, and, and reducing the carbon footprint. That can be a steel mill, uh, for example, and chemical complexes. Um, we are working together with ITM Power. Uh, we are the biggest shareholder, uh, single shareholder of, of, of ITM Power, which is a company based in the UK. Uh, ITM Power is world leading in, in producing electrolyzers, thermal electrolyzers. 
they have the only giga factory in the world, so they can produce a total of one gigawatt of electrolysis per year there in, in Sheffield. And that capacity is now being increased to five gigawatts uh, in, uh, in 2024. Uh, so, so this is a great part that we have. What is happening in, in that space uh, is that 10 electrolyzers are built by, by modules. And those modules are, are, are then being stacked for bigger and bigger sizes required. Now, these modules uh, are now being, being taken to the next level. So we are, we are going up from, from, uh, from uh, let's say, we are, we, are, we are on a path from one megawatt to, to five megawatt modules, for, for example. Here. So it would be needed less modules to be stacked for the same capacity. Uh, so th this is a journey that we, we, we see, and that will, we, of course, uh, also help increasing the overall capital uh, efficiency of the of the electrolysis. If you look at it from a technical point of view, we see that the, the, that we are uh, reducing the, the need for electricity a bit every year. We talk about about an uh, average a forecast that averages a uh, an efficiency increase of 2% every year for, for the electrolysis. But again, you should not forget that there are other laws of physics that we cannot escape. But we are doing a lot of improvements here, which is great, so, so that we become more efficient and that we become cheaper all the time. I guess you have already talked a lot about the different colors of hydrogen, and I will not delve too much into this. But, but again, the, the vast majority of the production of hydrogen today is gray hydrogen, and some people even call it black hydrogen. And that is not what we want for the future. What we want, what we want going forward is clean hydrogen. And, and clean hydrogen can, can then be is then called uh, blue hydrogen, which is which is the, the gray hydrogen where, where you have taken care of the, the CO2 emissions, the carbon capture of that. Or it's green hydrogen, uh, which is then produced from, from green, uh, green electricity. Uh, it could, of course, be that you capture CO2 on the way if you're using a, a um, more dirty grid mix as well. But the focus must be going forward to have clean hydrogen, uh, we are agnostic if it comes to, to say if it's blue or green, and, and uh, Richard was mentioning something initially here about that as, as well. The important thing is that we reduce the overall carbon footprint. So uh, ultimately, it's about green. It's about green hydrogen and green hydrogen re requiring green power. So, as Richard said, blue hydrogen could be a very interesting player in, in this transition, going from the grey to the green. And, and uh, that's, that's an area where we are very active uh, as well, as, as you can understand from previous slides. <coughs> now, taking examples and coming into some of the economics here, and I, I, I work a lot with the steel industry. So, I mentioned about Linda earlier, we are a huge company, uh, and we are, we are very big in, in hydrogen. 
uh, we are also a huge supplier, of course, to, to the steel industry in the world. Ma many, many steel plants are supplied by us. Uh, we supply oxygen, we supply nitrogen, we supply organ, etc. To, to these plants. We have many of those air separation units, for example, that the companies in India give a few examples like the Tata Steel and JSW. Uh, additionally, we are also a supplier of some, some technologies. The AUD converter that is used for stainless steel production was, was, was invented by Linda. We have the coal jet for, for, for electric arc furnaces. For, uh, which is kind of the world standard today. We have the Reebok solutions for reheat furnaces to, to increase the efficiency of the reheat furnaces, which has been extremely successful. So we are working all over this, and this kind of combines very well when we look at decarbonization. In the steel industry, there is a huge challenge uh, to, to decarbonize, and, and uh, we mentioned earlier that about 7% of the CO2 emissions in the world is from the steam industry. And what people in general are looking at is to replace production in, in uh, blast furnaces with production of DRI sponge iron in the direct re reduction unit and, and then feed that into an electric arc furnace instead. That will have a huge positive impact on the carbon footprint, particularly if hydrogen is used as a reduction in, in, in this uh, DRI production. But there are many obstacles on this journey. It, it, it requires a lot of, lot of investments uh, and uh, it requires a lot of green power to produce the, 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 the green uh, hydrogen but also you need the power for all these electric offers. Yeah. So I will come back to this many times that green power is the key for the transition in, into, in, into a sustainable and decolonized society. But there are more obstacles because you will need a certain type of raw material for this. We talk about direct reduction powers. We, we don't have any any surplus production of that in the world. It will require a lot of investments in that and it's tricky to find suitable uh, ore compositions for it. When we, when we change an existing steel plant, we have a certain sizes I mean, of the equipment and we have a certain pace of the operations today. That would be different if we start putting in this operation. We, 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 we have, we, we have uh, you know, for example, we have BUF converters of 300 tons uh, tapping weight, and we might tap them every 25 minutes. And then, we, then if we start coming with electric arc furnaces with the size of 100 tons that we are tapping once per hour, we, we, we need to, we have a lot of challenges in the logistics, for sure. Um, that, another, another part of this is the carbon capture that has been coming up, and uh, we should be honest about that, that carbon capture and storage, meaning that we will put it into the ground, is not feasible everywhere. That is only in certain geographical areas. 
so I think that we will see a, 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 a phase out of, of blast furnaces over time uh, when they are coming to, to coming up for relining, which is a huge investment of, of, of several hundred uh, million dollars, typically. Uh, at that time, we will see this shift. So it, it will take some time. Um, but how can we decarbonize in the near term in, in this industry? <coughs> that, that, that is a big challenge. And, and we, uh, my colleague, probably Martha, and I, we, we have been looking into this. We, we wrote an article a, a year ago. Uh, one example of describing the challenge, uh, coming back to the electricity part, is that only for the EU, including, including the UK here, we need almost 500 terawatt hours of for that. And that type of expansion requires a lot of capital. So if we look at the investments required for building this DRI and electric arc furnace uh, uh, plants, maybe we talk about the investment, specific investment cost to say $800 per ton. But if we also need to take into consideration uh, the, the, all what is required upstream in terms of uh, the, the hydrogen production and not at least the green power supply, we, we might talk about specific investment cost of $5,000 uh, per ton. So it's a huge challenge and it needs to be supported in different ways. By, by, by governments to, to make this happen and to, to, to put that upstream part in, into, into play. And we need to scale up the electrolysis. We are on a good way, as I said, we are, we are taking 24 megawatts into operation this year and we have uh, 200 megawatts electrolysis on its way in, in the next year. So I think that, that will not see the, 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 the limitation here. Uh, but the electricity. And what you see in this diagram is, is that we have split it into an area where, where, where using hydrogen for steam making is favorable and an area where it's not favorable. And, and the, in the current situation, uh, where, where we, let's say we are at five, six dollars for, for this hydrogen supply, it is not favorable. It's more costly. You should be honest about that. So we need to move to the cost of hydrogen down at the range of say one to two dollars per kilogram to, to make that feasible. Uh, another component in some some places like in the EU is that uh, there is a there is a CO2 tax, there is a CO2 endowment and, and if they increase in price of course they they, they also help this equation. Uh, if that is not there, then, then we have to look at the cost of green power. And it needs to come down to, to uh, uh, more, you know, tw tw $10 or $20 per, per uh, uh, megawatt hour to, to, to make this viable. And I think there is good hope for that, but, but it's uh, huge investments required. So when people talk about one one dollar per, per kilogram for, for hydrogen, uh, that is under the assumption that, that we have uh, green power available at, let's say, 10 or, or 50 dollars per megawatt hour. That there is no chance to, to, to reach down there otherwise, because such a huge part of the cost to produce hydrogen 
is the uh, the cost of electricity. The the uh, the capital part of it is is, is much much smaller. So even even if the cost for an electrolyzer would become come down to half, still the dominant factor is the cost of electricity. Uh, the CO2 emission costs in Europe have been going up quite a lot because, as you see in this diagram, it has more than doubled across the past 12 months. So we are today uh, at, at uh, 80, 85 euros per ton of CO2 and we were below 40 a year ago. And that will continue to increase because the free allocations of, uh, of allowances are, are being reduced every year. Uh, so, I keep on repeating this. What we need is additional green power to, to make the, the hydrogen fly, so to speak. The green hydrogen. So, um, hydropower is a preferred green power because it's very, very stable uh, and it can be good for, for we, can, we can regulate it in, in a better way than windmills and, uh, and solar. But we need a combination of, of, of them all, that's for sure. <coughs> so the, we anticipate in the, in, in the coming year, years, maybe ten years, that we can have hydrogen costs rather at two dollars per kilogram. And just to look at it from an energy perspective, that's equivalent to, to uh, fifteen dollars per, per gigajoule, or fifteen dollars per million BTU. So hydrogen will remain expensive at least for a decade or so, which means, and back to what I said about doing things first, it is necessary to focus here on uh, energy efficiency. How can we first increase the energy efficiency and then come into to using hydrogen, so we, we use less hydrogen when we, when we do that change over. Uh, one such thing is in, in, uh, in metallurgical industries is to go from air fuel combustion to oxygen fuel combustion, which can, can save only that step between 10 and 40 percent of, of CO2 emission, and, and then have that ready to replace, for example, natural gas or whatever gas is used as a fuel uh, later on with hydrogen. Uh, if we look at blast furnaces, uh, which is the biggest emitter in the steel industry, there are also a number of other things that can be done. Uh, and before we jump into the, the hydrogen, there are a number of things that can be done, also including uh, carbon capture and, uh, and sequestration. And uh, we, 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 we have a lot of those solutions when it comes to still oxygen enrichment, for example, or, or, or combustion uh, with oxygen fuel in the boilers, etc. So there are other things to do with, so hydrogen is one piece in the puzzle and probably it's not the first one that you've seen here. Um, we can, of course, generate hydrogen in, in, in ways that are quite fitting into this, uh, for example, by, by, by gasification also. And that could be that we take cocoa gas or biomass or, or plastics or municipal solid waste and, and we, we gasify that. Um, and that has to be done in such a way so we don't carry uh, bad, heavy uh, 
stuff with us in the same gas that we, we produce. And that same gas can, can then be, be used for the for production of, of DRI. And it, it can be combined with, with green hydrogen production from an electrolyzer as well. And that, that, that's the way to combine technologies, particularly in the, in the transition phase. And uh, another example of the same, where we're working together with the company Metrix, is to use cocoa and gas and in the same fashion and, and, and uh, as in the previous slide and, and combine that uh, in, in, in a reactor where we where we then produce the same gas that can be used for production of, of DRI. It, it's quite amazing that you know the gas from the cocoa cocoa is more than fifty percent iron. Uh, and when we produce one ton of coke, we get 500 cubic, cubic meters of coke holding gas. That can be used to produce one, one ton of, of DRI. Uh, so that's a way to increase production, but it's also a way to reduce the carbon footprint, in, particularly in the transition phase, actually. And that, that, that DRI could be put in the blast furnace or, of course, in, in an electric auction. Um, Electric furnaces we worked with a lot, and I mentioned the cool jet earlier. Uh, what's interesting here is that, that we have, over the past 25 years, had so many successful installations of this, but we also tried using hydrogen in, the, in this application, in, in this coherent jet injection system in the electric furnaces. And it's not only reducing the carbon footprint. We found that hydrogen is the ideal fuel to use. We, we get, get even longer of these oxygen injection jets, etc., uh, by, by using. So, so th th this is great, and we, we are looking into customers for that as well, which will improve the economics as well. Uh, in this space with steel and other metals, there are a lot of labels that are being created, and, and uh, we've been working a lot with that over the years, and, and uh, using what we call flameless oxygen fuel, for instance. We've been able to, to reduce the fuel consumption by, by uh, 50, 60 percent in, in, in this operation, and thereby the CO2 emissions carbon footprint with, with 50, 60 percent. And uh, here is a, another example of where we can, can use hydrogen, and we started at some places now to, to do that. We have the first installation that will use 100 percent hydrogen. Uh, that we, is going to be commissioned in March this year. Uh, and, and of course, from the first step, taking down the, the carbon footprint by 50%, and then we replace the, the natural gas uh, with hydrogen, we're taking it all the way down to, to zero. That, that's a very, very interesting path if we can find viable uh, hydrogen supply. Um, most Steel uh, and, uh, and uh, a lot of lot of other methods are being reheated to, for for rolling or for cording and so on. So these are furnaces that are using a lot of fuel, and and uh, we have been working with that for many years and, and increasing the energy efficiency there and also the increasing the capacity. And, and we have a very good results. Uh, and Again, similar typical reductions of 40-50% of, of, of the fuel and thereby the CO2 emission. And we are now looking into to using hydrogen here as well. So that's a very interesting option. Um, and uh, we've done full-scale testing of that with this 
engineering steel, ball bearing steel company, Obatos, Sweden, uh, in, in 2020, full scale, 25 tons of ball bearing steel, we heated with 100% flameless oxy fuel using 100% uh, hydrogen fuel. And that worked out extremely well. And uh, together with Obatos, we are now uh, preparing for a permanent full scale installation. In, in a year from now, in, in early 2023, where, where uh, practically all these uh, so-called pit furnaces that you see in, in, in this photograph will be converted into uh, operation with 100% green oxygen plus 100% green hydrogen. This is an example of a site where there is a viable uh, supply of green power. They have, they have cost of the green power below $20 per, per megawatt hour. And, and with that, we can, can then produce green oxygen and green hydrogen uh, in, a in a viable way and apply it there. So I hope that we can see more of this type of, of, of opportunities coming up because then this whole operation will then be uh, completely carbon neutral. Completely carbon neutral. So looking at sale as a global view, I would say short term, it, it, it's uh, opportunities mainly for, for uh, increasing the energy efficiency, uh, not, not at least in, in, in heating, reheating operation. Uh, medium term, we see the, the, the hygiene coming in, and in longer term, so 10 plus years, we, we, we will see the big shift. So, there are, it, it will take time, and we, we should be, we should be uh, aware of all that. We should have the vision, we should translate that into action, but we should also be very realistic about it and understand what all the sizes of things that, that we need, including the green power supply. <clears throat> if we look at an integrated approach here, and I want like to highlight a special thing here, uh, we can see that we can make a state plant, as in this example, uh, practically carbon neutral by, by using green power and electrolyzer, uh, producing DRI uh, with, with, with uh, with, with green hydrogen, because we can use also optionally syngas uh, there. We, we have the electric off furnace uh, running with, uh, with hydrogen in the burners, and, and we will have the, the reheating of, of the example from Obaco running, running with uh, hydrogen as fuel together with, with the green oxygen. And, and looking at that, we, we, we can say that we talk about for, for, for for, for a two million ton per year plant, uh, we talk about one uh, gigawatt, thousand megawatt electrolyzer, roughly. And um, what's interesting to note is that an electrolyzer that is done splitting up the water, H2O, uh, will also, of course, produce oxygen. And that oxygen we can then use in this uh, different oxy fuel operations. We can, we can have a, an integrated, balanced uh, system here. So, so this, this can be a very beautiful setup uh, going forward here where, where, where we have a green and, 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 uh, and a net zero when it comes to the, comes to the carbon. 
great opportunity if we had the green power available. <clears throat> I will now mention a little bit about some other metals industry. Um, the global aluminium industry uh, has actually, on average, a higher carbon footprint than the steel industry. It's worth noting. It's, we talk about, uh, say, 12 tons of CO2 uh, per ton, ton, ton of aluminium compared to about 2 tons of CO2 per ton of, of, of steel. Um, the vast majority of, of that uh, relates to, to upstream, and we, so we, that we should consider scope one, two, and three. That means scope three, the, uh, the, the carbon footprint of all the, the inputs uh, that goes into the operation as well. And uh, here is a picture from from uh, from the uh, aluminium association, and they're quite worried about it. Uh, just to, to, to align with the Paris, Paris uh, Agreement, it would be needed an 80% reduction of greenhouse gases in, in the aluminium industry. Uh, it's a big challenge, and uh, we, we see in Europe today a huge pressure from the automotive industry on the aluminium producer, and uh, BMW, uh, which is here in Munich where, where I currently live, uh, they tell their suppliers that they don't accept uh, aluminium that has a uh, carbon footprint that is uh, about four. four. Four kilograms or four tons of CO2 per, per kilogram or, or ton of aluminium. Uh, and that puts a lot of pressure on the suppliers. But it's not only in the, in the aluminium industry you know, this problem is. So, so what, what has started, so to speak, here in the steel industry, you see that also coming into the production of many other metals. Uh, lots of questions uh, about what is the real uh, aggregated carbon footprint, uh, if you look at scope one, two, and three together. And you can clearly see that, that a lot of, lots of uh, uh, metals have big problems uh, on average. Uh, of course, if you work with recycling, if you recycle aluminium, you, you, you have, have a very low carbon footprint. So, so, but but you, normally you have a mixture of virgin material and recycled uh, material. So that, that is a huge challenge coming up. And, and again, that, 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 there are opportunities for, for hydrogen in there, and, and it, there are huge requirements uh, for, for green power. Because particularly notice that, that stainless steel production has a higher carbon footprint than, than carbon steel production. And that has to do with, with, with the input materials, uh, nickel and chromium, that, that on average has, has a huge uh, carbon footprint. Not all of them, but, but many operations have, particularly if you use uh, nickel pig iron, that has a very huge uh, carbon footprint. So, the, in the metal sector, the, there, is a, there is a lot that will happen over the, the next years, I think, to reduce the carbon footprint. I did not discuss the cement industry. That's a big chapter for itself, but the situation is, is similar, if not worse. There, and they are really looking into how they can reduce the, the carbon footprint in the cement industry if hydrogen can play a role there as well. 
but definitely very challenging. I think, and I'm now quoting the, the, the head of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, she says about steel that, that, that we have to accept that, 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 that the steel cost going forward will be much more expensive uh, due, due to the decolonization. But it, it is a must that that happens. <coughs> in Europe now, when, which is very much in the driver's state for this, uh, of course they are taking measures to uh, eliminate the risks for import of materials that are having a high carbon footprint. And we have the so-called carbon border adjustment mechanism that, that might uh, start already next year, the so-called SAFAM, and then get into full implementation in the next few years. And that will put a levy on imports from, from the countries outside of Europe into, into the European market uh, to compensate for that they will have a higher uh, carbon footprint, actually. So it means that this type of initiative will drive the development across the world and, uh, and, and then support the, the efforts for decarbonization and ultimately uh, support the, the use of, of hydrogen in, in many of those instances. Uh, I am quoting something I said myself uh, half a year ago or so at the, at, the, at the conference, but I think this is very, very important to highlight, uh, and I was here discussing more about Europe, and practically what I said was that, that if Europe cannot come up with a viable supply of green power to, to support the decarbonization, um, they can, the only way that the decarbonization can happen is that the that, that production that is today taking place in Europe, for example of iron, would have to move to other parts of the world where green power is available. So decarbonization without green power would, would, would mean a deindustrialization for that area. So it's, it's of course fully possible for, for Europe to to import iron and steel from, from other places where, where green power is available. And there are a lot of projects, for example, in North Africa and Brazil and, and, and in Western Australia, looking into this. And I think that this is something to keep in mind. Um, and uh, a country like India, I think, could, 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 could have great opportunities to, to benefit from this providing a, a, an abundant and viable supply of green power. Uh, and a last example from Sweden, if you look at the need for electricity in this transition, and I looked at this three months ago, uh, we, we can see a, a huge change if all these plants that they have are, are be, being realized. Uh, and we talk about, uh, in, in the coming tw 25 years, a doubling of, of the need of electricity from today's level. Particularly in the industrial sector, where it's more, is rather a tripling. And transportation, I had an example with the, with the electric vehicles before, uh, and, and it's going from, from 3 to 
27 or something like that terawatt hours per year. That is huge. It's a huge change. But that, but, but the that electricity is, is still rather small compared to what, what could be needed, for example, in the steel, the steel industry. And you, you know that there are in, in Sweden some, some big projects being, being uh, on, on the drawing board, like the hybrid, the H2GS, and so on uh, and so forth. And, and that would require uh, an, uh, an uh, increase of the use of, of, of electricity in the steel industry by 16 times. And all that should be green power. So it's a tremendous challenge to, to make this happen, honestly. Uh, and it's a big debate in, in Sweden. And we, I think we will say it is happening at, at many other places in, in, in the world as well. Good. Uh, so on hydrogen, I am not worried about that, 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 that we, we can supply hydrogen. We, we can scale up the production of hydrogen and so on and so forth. No problem. We, we know the applications. I've given a good number of examples. But to, to make it viable, we need to be uh, having a, 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 a continuous supply of, of green power at the, with, with the price of 10 to 20 dollars per uh, megawatt hour. If we do that, we can start using it everywhere. And people are not sometimes discussing what is hydrogen. The hope, the hope in the hype and so on. No, it's none of that. But but sometimes we talk about this hydrogen in places where it's maybe not suitable. But if we can have it in viable supply of it, there are a number of places where we can use hydrogen. Uh, in a very economic way, but not everywhere, you should remember that. But definitely, it, it has a great future, and, and uh, the key is the, the supply of green power. Thank you very, very much. I'm so happy to, to take your questions and discuss about this very important and interesting topic. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for the wonderful presentation. Uh, I'll request the participants if you have any questions, please do raise your hand. Uh, I'll just start with a few initial questions. Uh, sir, you indicated the use of PEM technology with your uh, tab at ITM. Uh, wanted to understand why is it PEM, uh, to my limited knowledge, there are four different electrolyzer uh, technologies which are available. Uh, so why is it PEM? Uh, that's, that's the first question, and uh, if possible, if you can touch upon the variables of tax life, uh, efficiency, uh, safety. Uh, so that's, that's the first question. I'll come to the second question, which is uh, on CAPEX, and third, which is on OPEX. Uh, yeah. Okay, thank you. Yes, there are two reasons, I would say, that we are betting on, on PEM. I mean, we are agnostic to that as well. So, so we, we have alkaline uh, electrolysis and so. Uh, but PEM, we, we see a potential to improve the PEM technology. So, so looking at it from an efficiency point of view, uh, we, we think we can make it more, more efficient uh, than it is today. We don't see that potential for, for alkaline, uh, for, for example. Um, and and uh, the second thing, and most important thing probably here, is that when we talk about 
but uh, renewable power uh, and so on, we, we might have fluctuations in, in the electricity supply. And uh, the panel electrolyzer is, is a very flexible tool when it comes to that. We, 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 can, we can regulate it within, within less than a minute. And, and it, uh, that cannot happen with an alkaline electrolyzer, for example. So that, that's why, why, why we say that. Uh, uh, and, and we are, yes, and, uh, we, we are, as I said, the, the strikes are getting bigger, bigger and bigger. That, that's for sure. Uh, we, are, we are now aiming for, for having for units of, of uh, 5 megawatts for, 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 the, for the bigger ones. Uh, and uh, there, there are, of course, new, new developments related to, to materials being used in the electrolysis as, as, as well. That, that should, should help this to, to, uh, to increase the efficiency and to reduce the costs. That's, that's useful. Uh, so would it be possible for you to put a certain numbers, uh, say, for a megawatt of capacity or a 300 kW, uh, how much would it cost for the PEM? And uh, if one had to look at that in conjunction with OPEX, assuming a certain uh, power cost, uh, if you can give some numbers, uh, say for PEM it costs, uh, it, you require around say 50, 55 units, I don't know the exact number, hmm. uh, into a certain power costing that you probably are assuming right now, uh, when we say a number of current hydrogen costing at around say, Five to six dollars. I'm, I'm just looking at a broad map on how. Yeah, I, I, I am. Uh, without going into too much of data, but <coughs> we, we can say that for, for um, smaller electrolyzers today, uh, so we, we, we talk about the capex of five thousand dollars per, per kilowatt, uh, and maybe more. Uh, going forward, uh, we, we, we think that that could come down to half. And, and partly the scale up also. Uh, so there is a bit of, bit of that. But, but I think that we're looking at bigger electrolyzer uh, going forward. We, we are maybe talking about five, six, seven hundred dollars. Mm. But ma ma maybe we can we, we dare to say in the future five hundred dollars per kilo. kilo you know. um, electricity, yeah. ballpark figure, fifty kilowatt hours per per, per kg. Uh, so as I mentioned, uh, some diagram there. Uh, in Europe today. Uh, 60-70 percent, or rather today, 70, more than 70 percent of the of the cost is uh, is actually uh, the cost of electricity. Uh, so, uh, as you can see there uh, in those diagrams, uh, we need to come down substantially with the, with the cost of electricity. It says that $2 per, per kg is, is a kind of magic number, right? because that will open up uh, for a lot of uses of, of, of hydrogen. Uh, and to be able to, 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 to reach down there, uh, one, one part is, is the re reducing the capex, but the, but the biggest contribution, the most important thing is, is, is reducing the cost of the, of the renewable power and, and coming down to below $20 per, per megawatt hour.
Yes, sir. Uh, this is a follow-up question. Uh, you indicated the $1,000 number can actually come down to the $500 to $700. To my limited understanding, uh, if one looks at the broad costing, I think around 40-50% uh, is from stack, uh, and the balance is planted equipment. Uh, as we talk about scale, uh, where do you see this cost reduction actually coming from? Uh, and is a country like India actually better positioned to manufacture electrolyzers, uh, say versus uh, North America or Europe, uh, wherein you have the advantage of probably local sourcing, uh, labor costs, etc., etc. Hmm. I cannot comment too much on the on the data, there, but but I think that uh, India is is, is uh, it could be a great place for it. Uh, skilled labor. Uh, is available in India at a, at a comparatively low cost, and, and, and uh, there is a lot of labour, of course, also in, the, in this production. And when it comes to the sourcing and materials, there, is, there shouldn't be a difference. So, so uh, and it, it's also being close, very close to, to, to a huge market. So, so why, why not produce where, where the market is? Uh, I think that that is absolutely uh, can have an optimistic take on, on, on that. Uh, I don't say going forward that this is at all being being dominated by by Europe and and, and uh, let's say North America. Uh, I I think that China also would play a huge role here. Yeah? Uh, it is the biggest biggest producer of hydrogen today. So that is grey hydrogen, but uh, I think that China will be the the largest producer of green hydrogen as well because they have a very ambitious. Plan and, uh, and we can already see how the, that is also also being materialized uh, step by step. Yeah. So in the same fashion as we saw the development of, of, of windmills and, uh, and solar panels, uh, where, where where you went from zero to, to being world leader in, in China, uh, I think we can we can also expect them to, to play play a role. So. Good opportunities for, for multiple countries in, in, in Asia here, definitely. Sure. Uh, one more question. Uh, Sir, you uh, highlighted a very interesting uh, comment uh, which you had along with Mr. Praveen Mathur. Mm-hmm. Uh, $1,000 is a normal CAPEX intensity, but if one had to actually go green, green, uh, you require another $5,000. Yeah. Uh, to my understanding, when I cover steel as well, I think Tata Steel is one of the furnaces in Netherlands. Uh, it's due for relining three years out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how would, say, Tata or Arcelor approach this scenario? Uh, I think there's not much clarity, and there is clarity on CBAM, but uh, government hasn't come up with any concrete plan. So when you speak with all these large steel majors, uh, well, what is the thought process when it comes to balancing profitability versus uh, carbon or ESG? Mm. I think typically at this huge state plus there is a portfolio of actions that they are looking at and and so so some some of them have been looking at the carbon capture as one part of it to do that during the time when they're still operating blast furnaces. And uh, of course, if you're using uh, natural gas for the for the DRR process, there, there could also be an equal carbon capture uh, from that one. So, so typically, then you you, you will look at uh, look at the possibility to use oxygen fuel combustion at, at the boiler, uh, where, where you collect the, the blast furnace gases, uh, etc., to produce electricity there. 
and in that way you, you will reduce the, the, the volume by, by 75% as compared to an air fuel situation and that is with an extremely high concentration of CO2 so, so you just need to take out the water vapor and then you can put that in, into, into there. Uh, another thing they are looking at of course is, is to see if they can use these gases uh, to, to produce some different chemicals using bacteria, so that's another little track. And uh, I had a slide showing the, the number of different other measures that can be taken. Uh, so I think that is, is going on in the discussions with these plants in parallel to saying, all right, let's say in five years we will put up an electrical service. And, and when there's relining of this uh, blast and so on. So, so again, it, it, it's, a, it, it's many different actions, and, and also at the same time looking into how can we increase the energy efficiency. Can, can, can we, uh, I mentioned this uh, oxy fuel in the reef, and uh, if we can take that piece uh, down by, by, by 30, 40%, we, we are saving that as well. So, so many different contributions here. It, it's not, you know, it's not one solution and we implement it back there. No, there are so much of, of, of capital there uh, today that you need to, to handle and then you need to find a smooth transition for, for this. And that, that, that could be steps in, in different ways that are combining into, into the, to, to the, in the major uh, direction at the end. Sure. Uh, thank you so much for the answers. I'll request the participants, if you have any questions, uh, please raise your virtual hand. Uh, Apurva, can you please unmute and go ahead? Uh, Vishal, I'm not sure whether you are there. Uh, if you are there, please uh, come back to the queue. Uh, Apurva, uh, please go ahead. Yeah, hi. Uh, thank you so much, sir, uh, for the great presentation and, and sharing your thoughts. Uh, so I wanted to understand from you on this, uh, especially from, from an India's point of view, uh, given that there is a significant lack of uh, hydrogen storage and transportation infrastructure, uh, do you see it will make sense to build out that capacity or should we look at going in the derivatives of hydrogen, say ammonia or something to, to probably transport and move hydrogen? Uh, well, I, I think, thank you so much for your question. I mean, the, the, uh, it depends on where you see the greatest potential uh, for it. Uh, ammonia is interesting. Fertilizer is, 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 is an interesting use for, for sure. Uh, also, uh, if we talk about, and I, I spent quite some time with the, the steel industry and so on, I, I, I don't think we talk about any transportation or any hygiene. This is, this is uh, uh, on-site production uh, for sure. And, and I rather think that, that we are building clusters around this on-site production. I doubt that, 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 that it makes sense on the largest, the largest scale uses to build up uh, pipeline networks and, and, and huge fleets, at least not across uh, bigger geographies. In, in Europe, there are discussions about in, in the Netherlands about around the Rotterdam and so on. But we we, we talk about we talk about places where there is some, some infrastructure and it's quite limited in size. So uh, yes, if you want to transport the uh, ammonia, is is of course a way to do it. Now, if you want to keep it green. Yeah, 
you need to have a, have a green vehicle also, which could of course be a fuel cell uh, electric uh, heavy duty truck. But otherwise, you will 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 need you are increasing the carbon footprint by the transportation. Also, we should keep that in mind. So, in general, my my, my suggestion is to look at on-site supply wherever it makes makes sense. And uh, I don't think we should expect too too much of of, of transportation or of hygiene going forward. Sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I'll request Vishal to please unmute and go ahead. Thank you. Um, sorry, I missed certain portion of the section. My question is also on ammonia. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in case you answer that, then it's okay, I'll ask Ritesh. But uh, if you haven't, so how do you see the economics? I mean, is it better, will it be better to use ammonia and reconstitute hydrogen at the pump? Or will it be better to use hydrogen in the canisters and get them to the pump and then use directly hydrogen? Uh, yeah, I didn't talk much about ammonia here. I think ammonia is very interesting. Uh, however, we should keep in mind that every time that we, we, we convert from something into something else, we have a loss. We have a year yeah. loss. Yes. Uh, so, so which I had a picture there with, 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 with the comparing fuel cell uh, vehicles with the battery electric vehicles. And, I mean, this, this, every time we convert, if we, if we make hydrogen from from, from electricity, we, we, we may be, we are losing 30 percent, so to speak. Uh, so every time we convert, we, we, we are we, we are losing something. And, and the same goes also for for uh, for liquefaction. Uh, and if we have to liquefy something and, and then make it gaseous again, we we are we are wait, we are wasting energy, so to speak. It doesn't doesn't mean that we that, that we could not make sense in in in, 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 in certain instances. But but in but in general, we should be careful. This is my my suggestion. Okay. So so I mean. Uh, uh, there are a lot of people who are way too bullish on the ammonia route of uh, exporting hydrogen. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think it would be the best way to export hydrogen or uh, I mean, electricity by itself would be the right way to export across the country, the intercontinent, and then uh, create uh, make hydrogen uh, near the near center of the in that yeah. region? I, I, I think the latter is the preferred road. Okay. Uh, I I might be wrong, but I, when I see these ideas about transporting, there have been some nice pictures about transporting hydrogen from from uh, from uh, Western Australia to to Europe and so on on ships and so I I I I wonder what are the final economics of of, of that honestly compared to that that great thing I. Uh, a good supply of green power in Europe and, and produce it where, where it's being used. Or, again, with Europe as an example, uh, Europe is importing natural gas from, for example, from, from uh, Algeria uh, with a pipeline across the Mediterranean Sea. Wouldn't it be better if we have good conditions for, for green power in a country like Algeria, Tunisia, etc.? And, 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 and uh, either 
uh, take that green power across the Mediterranean or, or take, have a pipeline there in that case. But I think even there, the, the, moving the electricity is better and produce, produce the hydrogen on site. I, I'm, as you can hear, I'm quite skeptical to, to this um, big ship transporting uh, hydrogen across the world. But I might be wrong, but that, that, that's how I see it today. Okay, okay.
Uh, sir, thank you so much for your time. Uh, very insightful presentation. Uh, it leaves us with a lot of food for thought. Uh, I think uh, the underlying conclusion is uh, the renewable power costing. Uh, it has to uh, also come down for actually uh, for things to actually transition going forward. And uh, it was great to have you uh, for the session. Thank you so much, and I'd like to thank all the participants for joining in as well. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much, Ritesh. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, everyone, for the discussion. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Good night. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Bye. Cheers.